Hi everyone, I'm Sarah Baker and this is Mama Stories. I created Mama Stories after seeing how impactful sharing stories can be in overcoming the challenges of motherhood. I am where I am today because of the stories of so many amazing strong mamas and I want to share that with every mom I can. So follow along to laugh, cry, and be empowered. Okay, you guys, today uh, we have a special guest, Christina, who is a doula in Bremerton, Washington. Mm -hmm. Really all over, I guess. All over. We can talk more about that. Mm -hmm. So let's kick it off first before we will kind of dive into who you are as we get along, but as we go along, excuse me. Uh, But first off, like what is a doula? Oh, that's a good question. It's funny. I've done it for so long. It almost feels funny to answer that question again. But uh, I really do still meet people who don't know. Um, A doula provides labor support, non-clinical labor support. And so um, a person that's pregnant will have an obstetrician or a midwife and they provide the prenatal care and they're overseeing from a clinical perspective, looking at labs, making sure baby and the birthing person are healthy and well. And then we come in and what we are is the experts of labor support. And so that can look a lot of different ways with physical support. So, um, you know, encouraging people to move, um, helping navigate pain and discomfort, uh, understanding where the baby is inside your body and why you're feeling these ways that you're feeling or what your labor pattern is doing, uh, whether that's a positive thing, like we're chucking along or we're really struggling, we can kind of um, pull apart why that might be happening. Uh, when change happens, we're there to help navigate those changes and talk through that, um, create space for those feelings so we can sort of move forward as a team. And then we provide information as well. So we're, we're really the only person on the entire team who's there from beginning to end, you know, for the most part. Um, And whose objective is that you feel well and supported, not that you have an unmedicated birth or that you, you know, avoid a C-section or any of those things. That's not part of our um, need is for an outcome. It's that you feel supported and and informed along the way. Wow. Okay. Yeah. It's pretty awesome work. Yeah. That is good. And so we were talking before you started this in 2002. Yeah. Okay. So what, brought you to become a doula? I'll give you the bullet points. Okay. So we can talk about more interesting things. But um, I was really young when I had my, when I got pregnant, I was 20. um, And I had a really dysfunctional upbringing. So I didn't have people to go to and say, you know, what is this pregnancy thing? What is this parenting thing? How do I do this? What, how, you know, how do I define good parenthood? Um, And so I went to books and um, I found, you know, the ideal for the kind of birth I wanted was midwifery care, which I couldn't have at that time. Um, and I thought, man, I'm going to be a midwife. So I went and had my baby uh, in the hospital, and it was a fine, average, mediocre experience, nothing traumatic, nothing super rewarding. And when I got out of that, I I thought, where is my rite of passage? I was really looking for this experience where I kind of went into the darkness and came out with my baby and I didn't feel like that happened. Yeah. Um, and so I, you know, I'm an activist by nature. And so it's like, I've got to do something and I'll be, become a midwife. And then I thought becoming a doula would be a good first step to just see if I could handle, you know, on-call life and being at birth for two hours to 32 hours and blood and throwing up and poop yeah. and all the things uh, and all trauma and you don't you know when you first become a doula you don't think there's trauma and there's scary things that yeah. happen um but I quickly found out that I'm pretty good with all that stuff and um it just stuck and I definitely thought about being a midwife several times that never did stick I really like 
the mentoring part of supporting people and figuring out what they want to do. So what's the key difference? Because my sister's had a midwife before, Mm -hmm. um, and I know that she was there throughout the, like, delivery. Mm -hmm. She basically delivered where, like, I had my OB deliver. Right. So what's the difference between a doula and a midwife specifically? They're just there for that part? And you're there for the support or? The midwife is providing you actual clinical care. So they're, in the state of Washington, they're licensed providers. Okay. And so they can administer medication. They're reviewing your labs. Um, just like your obstetrician, they're looking at the at your health and well-being, providing you clinical judgments and clinical support to promote wellness and safety. Okay. I'm not responsible for any of that. And okay. so I would never, um, you know, check your cervix or... Um, tell you that, you know, the heart tones are whatever. I might know they're pretty good. I'm, you can look at my face and be reassured, but I'm never going to say that's really normal because I, that's outside of my scope because I'm not a clinical provider. Okay. So, um, it's a tricky line and I think you spend your whole career, uh, navigating the difference between what is medical advice and what is support. Uh, and, and what I find my safe zone is just to ask questions rather than answer them. So, you know, plenty of doulas are providing you know, their encyclopedias of information. Yeah. And I started my practice out that way where I was just reading everything. And ever, I, I just wanted to be the doula where anytime a client had a question, they would call me and I would have the answer, you know, the benevolent answer. And yeah. I realized quickly that it wasn't actually empowering them to be informed because they were just looking to me as another expert rather than developing their own expertise. And so I, I thought that was really important that if somebody said, you know, I'm thinking about vaccinations, what should I do? I would say, well, you know, what should you do? What are your concerns? Um, And the question would inevitably come back, well, what did you do? What does it matter what I did? You know, I'm, I have a level of risk I'm willing to accept in my choices that you may not be. And I can't tell you that story. Um, So let's figure out what obstacles there are for you to figuring out your your, your feeling about this. Um, And who do we need to talk to to get you the information you need? Um, and I'll hold your hand. I'll be with you. I'll be right next to you as you figure that out because these are big decisions. Yeah. Um, yeah. I had a friend who had a doula. Um, and, of course, I found out more about what a doula could really offer for me after mm-hmm. I had Grayson. That's often the case. Yeah. Uh, and I'll never forget. She just told me, like, every fear, every concern, all the things she was so afraid about during pregnancy because mm-hmm. it was her first time. Yeah. Things felt weird. And I can think about those moments for me. Yeah. I can think about the times when I would call my doctor, try to get scheduled. Mm. Like, I couldn't feel the baby yet. What's going on? And she just had this person, this, like, extra person mm-hmm. to really rely on. So at 2 in the morning, mm-hmm. you know, when everybody's kind of shut down, yeah. she's got someone there for her. And yeah. I thought, man, probably would have made things a little easier and made me more comfortable. Because yeah. that's the last thing you need when you're pregnant whether it's your first or your fifth yeah to be stressed yeah That's and like i thing. my my strengths and expertise are more working with clients with anxiety and trauma um and so i do get a lot of clients who are i don't want to say higher needs because it sounds like there's a level of normal in mm-hmm. need your needs are what your needs are and so um we'll do more visits around i read this book and i can't get this thing out of my head or a friend told me a story and now i can't stop thinking about that or i can't stop reading all the books or i can't read any of the books and sort of these extremes um and so having someone you can talk to that goes yeah that sounds really common i've really heard that here are some things that could be helpful 
it just sort of normalizes that you're just a pregnant person having a pregnant experience yeah. like everybody else. It's unique for you. It's a, you, you know, you're special in a fingerprint, but you're one finger on many hands. <laughs> like there's yeah. a lot of people having babies. Um, and you know, I think the other, the other really neat thing too, is that your midwife doesn't join you till you're an active, you know, well into labor. Your doula can come anytime. And mm-hmm. so if you're, say you're in early labor and you don't really need labor support, but you're just really nervous, I can come over hang out, we'll make some cookies and we'll chat and watch a movie and maybe I'll touch your feet a little bit or just help to ground you physically. And then we'll check in. How's it? How are you feeling now? I'm feeling better. Okay. Are you cool with me going home, getting some rest, wait until things kick up or until you need me again? Yeah, that sounds great. And so it's not, it's not always about just this, you know, crazy part of labor and squeezing hips and flipping people over in bed. It's a lot more that that's where that emotional support piece comes in. Yeah. Uh, I think that's really important for me and my husband. We got so lucky. We had the best OB ever. And I, she just like fell into our lap. I don't even know how we got her. And then, you know, but we learned as, um, you know, time progressed and as our due date got closer that she may be the doctor I see all the time, but it really depends on what doctor is on call. It's true. And I was freaking out because, you know, you want that person with you that's mm-hmm. been there from the beginning, yeah. that person you're comfortable with. And uh, luckily, we got so lucky because oh, she's so rad and mm-hmm. she did things to help me get started. Mm-hmm. And so she was there and literally Grayson was born an hour and 55 minutes before her shift ended. Oh, my goodness. So we were like, I was like, you better come out yeah. because this doctor is who is delivering me. Okay. Yeah. Which is funny. Cause she was only really in the room for like maybe right. 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Cause yeah, that's something that really fast, I do but... have a lot of conversations with clients who are very attached to their doctors in particular. And we have to talk about if someone else walks in the room, um, you know, and it is often, I'm, I'm always shocked at how late in pregnancy people are finding out from their provider. Well, I might not be the one at the yeah, birth. It's late. And then they also don't find out oftentimes until the birth, um, that the doctor isn't even there the whole time. Yeah. It's, you know, baby's literally on the verge of coming out, like literally crowning. And then the doctor comes in, sits down, catches the baby, fixes whatever he needs repair and, and gets sort of all the accolades for yeah. Thank you so much as if. You know, but what you've had is a team of nurses who've changed shifts. You've had sure. your doula mm-hmm. who has been there the whole time or maybe had to call in a backup because it's gone very, very long. Um, your partner, like that's actually your support team. Um, the doctor just kind of makes sure everybody's going to be okay. Yeah. But they're not doing any labor support whatsoever. No, it's so true. It it really, thinking back on it, I think having somebody there, because um, they popped my water mm-hmm. when I started to get more dilated mm-hmm. and there was poop in the water. Yep. So there was some concern that Grayson was going to have to um, go into the NICU mm-hmm. of some sort. Uh, so I just remember feeling like, okay, I, the biggest thing is I just didn't want Pitocin. Yeah. I, don't, I just had heard all these mm. stories. So that was like what I kept focusing on. Like, okay, as long as I'm progressing, as long as Grayson's healthy, I don't care. Like we'll figure it out when he gets here. But I will say like, it was overwhelming because there was like nurses going on breaks and I was yeah. in the middle of pushes and there were some nurses I preferred over others. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, it wasn't really, I mean, I was, my doctor was there for maybe three pushes, maybe. I mean, she was still strapping well on. What, I know. <laughs> I will not brag about my story, yeah. but it was, I paid for it later is when mm, I look at it. But okay. um, no, my pregnancy and delivery was, I would say, magical. It was great. great. Uh, but I do think having somebody there mm-hmm. 
aside from my husband who was, you know, just cracking jokes the whole time. That was also entertaining at times. Uh, it, it would have been nice to be a little bit more comforted because there, there is a lot of information. I'll never forget when, you know, it started to happen and the doctor came in. So did this whole team yeah. of NICU because yep. they were worried about Grayson and it was overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And I mean, and Dustin luckily was like, hey, just look at me like we're good. Yeah. Focus. But, you know, you just some people can't handle that mm-hmm. well. And so having someone who's experienced and someone who knows you and knows your baby and knows your birth plan. Yeah. I think could be, I mean, instrumental in yeah. that whole process. So thinking back to it now and just sitting yeah. here with you, I'm like, man, I really needed a doula. Well, even, you know, just to kind of like give another poignant example, even in that moment of, you know, there's meconium in the water. It's when baby poops in the water and it's, it can be an indicator of stress that baby's had some stress, but it can also just be an indicator that baby just has been in there a while and and past meconium. It's yeah. the concern is that they breathe it in when they come out yeah. and it gets in their lungs and causes pneumonia. And so when we see meconium thick enough in the water, what they'll do is, so uh, with that, without meconium, you would still have all those nurses come in. Oh, they would. Okay. They would all come in. And so um, what I do when the client is starting to push is let them know. So you're getting ready to start pushing. That's really exciting. They're going to set up the table. They might start, you know, coaching you on pushing if you're open to that. If you don't want that, let's let them know. And then when you're really close, we're going to see some people file in and they're just here to monitor well-being of baby. So don't worry. Um, And if you have any questions at any time, we can certainly pass those over. And so it allows you to sort of wrap your head around this next thing that's happening because it's it can be scary when you see a bunch in a delivery room when you see a bunch of people file in and they're kind of standing there and waiting and then baby delivers and somebody comes over and rubs your baby and you know suctions them and does the things um and with meconium they're really watching to make sure that the breathing is well but it's not an emergency i mean until it's emergency it's not one um we're just we're all here just in case and so having somebody go uh you know your baby's got some decelerations of heart rate what, what's going to happen is they're going to come in, they're going to put an oxygen mask on you. We're going to move you into some different positions and see if we can resolve it. And then we'll, we'll, we'll figure things out from there. And that way when the nurse comes in and goes, let's get oxygen on you. I've seen it many times where the partner gets very nervous. Yeah. When we see oxygen go on the face, it gets very scary, even though it's not, it's true. Like from a clinical perspective, it's not a scary thing. It's a kind of minimal intervention to try to resolve the issue. So I can translate what's happening clinically because I know what they're doing and why. I know what's going to happen next because I can translate what's happening in your labor. And then I can converse with you about that and say, here is how we can support what's going to happen next. Or here's an opportunity for you to slow things down and say no if we know in advance something's coming up that you don't want. This is your chance to say no. So, Yeah, that is so good. All right. So I think the value of a doula is very clear, mm-hmm. um, especially for me. Um, so if there's any moms listening that are pregnant, you should definitely look into it. If it's mm-hmm. your first pregnancy for sure. Even if it's your fifth. Um, okay. I want, I read online how many births you've done over mm-hmm. 225. I'm sure the number it's is more than that. Well, more now, I assumed. Yeah. Um, so I just want to hear like uh, your most like epic story you can tell us oh my goodness my most epic story yes uh let me think about that there's so many and and epic can be defined so many ways um I'll leave it up to your interpretation uh gosh boy um I I I can give you some snippets okay will that do yes um so let's let's start with um my third birth was um a client who hired us 
there were two, we were in my, I was uh, in a partnership at the time and she hired us and the next day took castor oil, didn't tell us and, and she went into labor. So she was really dehydrated by the time we got there. We had no idea. We labored at home just fine and she was a single mom and um, we got to the hospital and very quickly progressed um, couldn't sit down, was yelling for an epidural. Uh, this was my third birth. And <laughs> so I felt very much like I knew what I was doing for the most part, but you're still pretty new. Yeah. Um, and so just, you know, I'm, you know, carefully monitoring what's going on and trying to, I'm thinking she's maybe ready to push, but it hasn't been very long. So I'm, you know, my training has said that this can take a long time. So, but that's not what was happening for this mom. So, um, she, we, you know, the, the nurse comes in and to check her and lays her down and baby's just coming out. This baby's head comes out and then it sort of sucks like the whole head and then the head sort of sucks back in. And so what you have is the baby's shoulder is stuck behind the mom's pubic bone. And so that's called a shoulder dystocia. And that just means we're stalled because of a shoulder. And so it, this, this comes with a trifecta of, a baby that generally needs resuscitation and a hemorrhage. And so it's sort of a kind of a big event. Um, wow. And the nurse was the only one in the room. And so we're trying to free this baby. The two doulas are on either side trying to support the nurse who's trying to call for help and manage this emergency. Um, and we're in the hospital. So you would think that we would just have a bunch of people run in. But when her, your hands are busy... Um, it was, you know, so we were able to get some help and, um, they had to cut a very big episiotomy, a fourth degree, which is Mm. down into the, um, muscle, uh, into, into the, um, rectal muscle. And so just a very, very big repair. And I, and and that was very challenging. Baby was great. He was over 10 pounds. Great. Wow. Mom was over six feet tall. So we expected a good size baby, but, um, not one, not one that big. And, um, and, you know, they repaired her and we got baby and mom back together. So the next birth she had, we had three babies together. Um, she was induced at 38 weeks. Just let's not even mess with this shoulder dystocia business. And she just had this hysterical birth with nine people in the room. We had two doulas. We had a cousin. We had parents. We had a partner. We had a couple friends. It was really busy. And she just laid back and she laughed her baby out in three pushes. <laughs> it was really, really awesome. Um, I, I have had um, clients who were in domestic violence situations mm. coming out of those situations um, and, you know, finding themselves pregnant, having to navigate um, a partner that was in jail, a former partner, you know, that was incarcerated um, because of assault, uh, you know, assaulting her and, you know, having to sort of rebuild their trust in their own bodies after their, leaving these relationships. Um, gosh, epic birth stories. I, there are just so many. That, that's a pretty epic one. How do you like get up and do your job the next day after something like that? Oh, sometimes I don't. Yeah. Honestly. You some, need some I mean, time. Uh, for sure. And, yeah. and the hope is that if I have a challenging birth, because I've had really, I've witnessed p- abuse. Um, mm. you know, I, there's all kinds of things. Um, you know, I haven't seen loss of life, but I've been very, very close. Um, you know, emergencies, babies coming out in cars, babies coming out at home unexpectedly, missing the birth, um, disappointing my clients, you know, all of these sort of things happen. Um, but when there's a really challenging birth for the parents in different ways, um, you know, you go home and you tap your 
network and you say, I need to talk this out. And my process, we call it the birth hangover, right? And so in, in, in our work, we recognize that this is, we are, we're standing in the front lines of trauma at times. We're taking on our own trauma and that we have to take care of ourselves in order to take care of our clients. We can't just walk around afraid, yeah. Because then we then we limit your options. If I'm if I've if I've had something happen that was traumatic for me that I've witnessed or participated in a birth and I go to the next birth and it seems like that same pattern is happening and you're my client, I might limit the options I provide you or I might steer you away from something sure. which isn't it's not um it's a very human thing. We do this all the time. Yeah. Um and it's not centering your rights as a parent to choose from all the options and not have the overlay of my trauma on your experience. Yeah. So I'm really responsible for that. So after a birth, I do, you know, I climb in, my, my husband takes excellent care of me mm. and I climb in the tub and I, um, I talk until I, it doesn't feel big anymore. Um, we get therapy if we need it. Um, some many birth professionals I know have gone on to do things like EMDR, um, which is uh, eye movement ra uh, rapid desensitization. Um, it's a PTSD treatment that's very quick and accessible. Um, and so, you know, we truly do walk around with a lot of drama a lot of times. Um, I mentor doulas as well into into this work. And when we first meet, I tell them, because often what I hear is, oh, the babies and the birth, and it's going to be so wonderful and so beautiful. And I can't wait to, you know, and then I say, well, how do you feel about hemorrhages? How do you feel about you know, literally watching blood gush out of a person or a partner who's upset about what's happening or, um, you know, somebody who's activated in their trauma and they can't speak for themselves. How do you feel about those things? Yeah. Because those are actually um, the landscape of this work. And, um, you know, because we work with you prenatally, we have a bond when you go into labor and we're the only person besides your partner you have that bond with. And because we're professionals doing a, a skilled service, I'm asking those questions of what would this look like or what kind of support would you need around this? So I know how to navigate that space. The nurses come in and they have to figure it out. Yeah. The doctor comes in and has to figure it out. Um, and all the sort of lumps that go along with that. Um, but we really do have to take good care of ourselves on the outside because we need to be able to pour that love into you guys, you know, when we're in the birth space. So yeah. it's, it's tired. I mean, the burnout rate for doulas is about three years. For, really? For, oh, yes. For wow. a variety of reasons. So to wow. be doing it for almost, you know, for one and a half decades is pretty yeah. awesome. That is awesome. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, uh, one of the things that I keep thinking about, though, when you say that is just exactly why I want to do this mm -hmm. exact like this podcast this mama stories blog is because moms just have those stories mm -hmm. that are really traumatic and I want them to have a space to let it out yeah whether it's in writing whether it's a podcast like whatever it is because man women are freaking rad mm -hmm. like yeah. think about that then they have to get up and take care of a freaking baby uh -huh. who's gonna suck on you every hour and a half seriously two hours. oh and and gosh. really gives no f's about how tired you are or that your bum is torn up or no. you know that you're throwing up and ill it's just take care of me i i can't live without you and you know from a cultural perspective we do it in this really isolationist kind of way we put all of the burden on an individual family to provide for all of its own needs um and we're not i i, I very rarely meet a family who says oh, I feel really comfortable tapping my community for help. I feel really comfortable having people come in and clean my house. Um, 
you know, help me, help me shower, help me with breastfeeding. I feel really comfortable taking my breasts out anywhere and feeding my baby. Those things are learned over time, but they're sort of thrust upon you by birth because you really can't make it without community. There's a lot of consequences. And, you know, before we started recording, we talked a little about postpartum depression and, um, you know, that's something that we have in, um, we almost, I, I now consider it a normal consequence of birth that there is some level of processing and adjustment, mood adjustment that needs to happen or that could happen. So I talk about it like sore nipples. If you're going to, you're choosing to breastfeed your baby, we accept without a lot of judgment, sore nipples kind of comes with that, right? Um, We sort of prepare for it. We get the lotion, we get the handout, we get the lactation person figured out. We talk to our friends, we sort of take in, okay, that's a normal thing that comes with this, not going to worry about it. But when it comes to postpartum depression or, um, anxiety or prenatal depression and anxiety, we feel like we're the only person who's ever experienced this mm-hmm. and that it means something about us and our well-being and our um, love for our children if we if we go through it. And so with my clients, I talk about it like this is the sore nipples of, you know, postpartum. Like this yeah. is, let's just treat this like it's very possible so we can make a plan. So I work with my clients to make a plan that they actually have a conversation and practice that in my childbirth classes, that they look each other in the eye and say, babe, I'm really concerned so that we can just break the ice on that so that if they have to say it later, it feels a little bit easier. Do you stick with your clients after birth or is it, is it like birth and then done, done birth and done. Okay. Um, there's, there's, so there's birth doulas and then there's postpartum doulas. Okay. So for me, I'm with you for that first couple months. Um, and what that looks like is York, I'm checking on you and saying, how's feeding going? Are you getting sleep? You know, how are you processing this challenging birth that you had? Should I come over? We can talk about it. Have some tea. I can look at your latch. If it falls outside of that sort of initial stuff, then I'm saying, okay, let's refer you to lactation. Um, you're needing some overnight help so you can catch up on some sleep because you're feeling some depression and we know sleep is really powerful for that. So let's get a postpartum doula in. You're paying that person. I get paid a set fee. Mm -hmm. A postpartum doula gets paid by the hour. And so you're making an agreement with them to come in, say, three nights a week for overnights so you have help at night and can sleep in larger blocks of time and then, you know, or they come during the day and they just hang out with baby so you can get a nap. Um, maybe they'll do some light housework. Maybe they'll, um, you know, talk with you about what's normal feeding, be a, be a resource for you in your house. This is a really common thing in other cultures mm-hmm. um, and, and you don't have to pay for it. And so, and here we like to make industries out of things that are human mm-hmm. connection. Um, and, you know, I can't, I can't say I'm too sad about it because I get to do this work. Um, and I feel like we do miss out on that community responsibility to families. I, we, we miss that, I think. Yeah it's it's so important for moms to know that that is out there Mm -hmm. because um I've talked a little bit about my struggles with postpartum depression Mm -hmm. and the first podcast like briefly touched it with my husband but it's real and I will tell you that like lack of sleep like I don't think I slept really at all yeah and it really just messes with you and I think it does and like I think it really enhances that feeling of isolation Mm -hmm. because now you're tired and and you're feeling this you know imbalance Mm -hmm. and you've got a baby and and I said it in the first podcast but it felt like for me everybody else's life just kind of continued and Mm -hmm. mine had this major shift Mm -hmm. 
and no one else had this major shift. And yeah. I just kind of kept looking around the room like, does anybody know what just happened? Like, I just birthed a human and I'm really like confused why you guys are just like having a glass of wine. Like yeah. how that, and it's funny because today now, if I saw a brand new baby mm-hmm. and I'm, I'd be like, oh, cool, that's great. Because I don't, I didn't have a shift. Yeah. She did, right? Yeah, yeah. And so, but it's hard to articulate what that really is like yeah. unless you're in it. Yep. And unless you feel that, you know, enhanced isolation, yeah. which I do, I would agree with you that I think it happens now that I look back at postpartum depression or that people I know that have had children, mm-hmm. it's for sure a different time for them when they first have a baby. And so if I knew more about postpartum, then I probably would have addressed it. Uh, but I feel like almost everybody has a little bit of that when they first have a baby. I, I feel, I mean, I almost feel like it's almost shock, you know? Yeah. Um, my, you know, I did a, um, we opened Salmon Berry. So I was one of the folks that helped open the birth center oh, and here in town. Yeah. Okay. And we did this really wonderful video when we were crowdfunding in the early stages. And the, and the person asked me, the videographer asked me, what was my favorite moment during a birth? And it's really that moment between the babies come out and the mom hasn't quite figured out that that's happened. Mm. So in the hospital, they put baby right on top of you. At a home birth, you get a second. Like we're not thrusting this thing on you right right away um you know if you don't want it to and so you kind of get there's this moment of this mother who's literally sort of between the worlds and she's a mother but she sort of hasn't realized it yet baby's Mm -hmm. here but we kind of haven't made that connection um and it's this intense out of this world and then she sees her baby and she kind of comes right back into her body I love that transition and I feel like that happens postpartum and what you're describing it reminds me of that kind of like you're out of this world. Like I'm this brand new raw, the most raw you'll ever be mm-hmm. really. I think, um, I think death is the only thing that makes you as raw as birth does. Um, can anybody see this? Can yeah. anybody see this? Uh, and, and so for me, you know, the, sim- the symbolism that I use is, you know, the underworld that birth takes you into the underworld. You're in the dark, you're facing your doubts. You're facing your fears. You, you absolutely unequivocally believe you cannot take another step. And you're looking at everybody going, no, really, I know you all are saying I can do it, but I need you to believe that I can't. And we just go, we see you, like we see you and you're doing it. And then you come out of that underworld and now you're a mother and you have to orient yourself in space. So it makes total sense that there would be this moment of, um, not knowing who you are in this role and grieving who you thought it would be. Yeah. Grieving Mm. what you thought it would be like versus what it actually is. Um, You know, people um, who have babies with colic have increased risk of postpartum depression. Um, And, you know, so you have this kiddo that's not this cute, sweet, (laughs) quiet Mm -hmm. baby that everybody just loves to be around. It's really a lot of stressful work. Yeah. Um, It's hard. You have to work really hard to love your baby because kind of is unpleasant um, or it's really unpleasant, you yeah. know, and it just won't stop crying. So it's really hard to dig up feelings of that reckless, passionate mother love for this person who seems to just offend every sensibility yeah. and who's completely reliant on you to boot. And so I feel like the more grace we can give parents um, and the more we can talk about that as real, that's a real thing you're going through. The partners go through it too in their own way, but it's not as physical, Right. You know, it just, it's not as physical. 
It's not, it's immersive in that they're electing to go into the deep. I'm going to become a father or whatever, Mm -hmm. whatever that arrangement is. Um, You know, they're confronting, what does that mean? What kind of, you know, father do I want to be? Um, But that's optional. They could go on and never do that work. Yeah. But you literally have no choice. Once yeah. this baby is, you've decided to continue and have this baby, you, it has to come out somehow. Yeah. And you really, you don't have a choice. We can't, you know, sort of putting you to sleep <laughs> through yeah. the whole thing, which is not an option, guys. Not an option. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody's going to do that for you. When you were so. just saying that, though, like, I feel like I could almost cry because, um, Grayson was colic and I, mm. I hated that description as a new mom because I was like literally every other day in my pediatrician's office like what is wrong mm-hmm. he won't nurse he's crying I need to sleep like yeah. this is crazy and to this day like you know a lot of people say like oh Grayson is such he was such a good baby like oh he was so good And I'm really triggered by that because, yeah, he is a really good baby Mm -hmm. right now. And I'm so thankful that he's healthy and happy and that we're good. But, man, there were some really dark times in that colicky stage. And there isn't really a cure. I really wanted there to be a cure, and there just wasn't. And I just felt like no one... Like, even the pediatrician, even my family members, like, no one really knew. I felt like no one could really put into words how awful that was. Yeah. And so it it really is, that's a big deal. It like, is a huge deal. And I think, I remember when I found out about, like, sleep consultants and yeah. how they would just come to your house. I didn't even care if they taught Grayson how to sleep. I was just like, yes, I can sleep. Mm-hmm. Like, what do you, how Anything. much, how, I will pay you $10,000. Yes, I will take totally. a loan out mm-hmm. so I can just get some sleep. Um, and I remember thinking like, why isn't this provided? Mm-hmm. Like this should just be a thing. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and then you have to go back to work in most cases, yeah. you know, in six weeks yep. and, or less or less. Mm-hmm. And you know, there you are. Yeah. And you're trying to balance all this stuff and then you're not sleeping and then you're a human, but you're a new human. And well, and I mean, let's be honest, our bodies look different. Our boobs are huge and veiny and spring milk every time we think about a baby. Our partner's thinking, oh, it's been six weeks. Yeah. (laughs) And we're trying to imagine ourselves going from a, you know, a mothering body to a sexual body or an intimate body and having and knowing that we might have to go back to the mother body at any point during that trying to figure out foods because we're ravenous from the breastfeeding and the recovery we're peeing every five seconds we're sweating up everything I mean it's it's un I feel like it's understated exactly and that's why I say the underworld because you really are in this place that kind of is you get destroyed in a way. You get destroyed as you know yourself. Yeah. And you have to come out and meet yourself new. Can I tell you a quick story? Yes, please. Along this line. <clears throat> uh, sorry for clearing my throat on the radio. That's but, okay. Um, so I it was early again, early on, and same same partner, Dula. And we were hired by this pregnant uh, pregnant mom who whose partner was out to sea. And um, they were... They were well resourced, um, you know. All they had all the nice things, but um, they, she just didn't have any help, and so they wanted us to kind of come in and be there for um, the delivery because he would be away. She had also just started fostering her family member, a young a young person that was in her house, and 
um, she had kind of false starts to labor. We, we thought this was it. We, we kind of went back and forth. Then she, you know, called and said, I'm headed to the hospital. She like pushed the baby out before we could get there. So we ended up missing the birth, even though we spent a lot of time together. So that was kind of a bummer. Um, through the prenatal visits, she had, you know, shared that I was concerned that she didn't have a, any people. Um, and so I'd asked her, you know, do you go to church? And she said, well, we just kind of left our church and, you know, our friends are really my husband's friends and yeah, mm. I feel kind of isolated. So she has her baby and we go over there probably like four or five days postpartum. And usually what I expect and hope to see, I just want everybody to hear how normal this is, is that your house is a disaster. Yeah. That there's dirty diapers on the table and that there's breast milk on your shirt and that you've got spaghetti on your shirt and that you look haggard. Yeah. That's all good. That means you're focusing on keeping you alive, keeping your baby alive, reducing your risk of hemorrhage, ensuring your milk supply is strong. You're focusing on internal things to a point rather than whether the dishes were done. Yeah. So that's all good news. Um, when we arrived at this person's house, everything was immaculately clean. Mm. There was freshly baked banana bread on the counter, um, steaming like she just pulled it out of the oven. Baby was in, you know, matching perfect outfit um, and her hair was done and her nails were beautiful and her outfit was flawless. And, um, you know, this is how she comfortably navigates her life. And there's no there's no judgment here of, of how she does that. The alarm for me was that it that that was her priority at the time was showing how together she had it. Mm -hmm. So I said, how are you doing? How are you feeling? Everything's great. This baby's great. How's feeding going? It's your, you know, just your milk coming in every, he's just feeds every two hours on the dot. It's great. How much are you getting any sleep? Oh, he sleeps in good chunks. Everything's really great with sleep. I said, have you wanted to throw him through the wall yet? And she stopped and looked at me and I said, I mean, that's coming. If it hasn't happened, and I looked at my partner and I said, did you want to throw your baby through the wall? She goes, oh, no, no. For me, it was through the window. Just want to throw him right through the window and off the balcony. I was like, yeah, for me, it was throw him through the wall. I could see the little baby-shaped plaster exploding all around him. And while I would breastfeed my baby, I would have this image of throwing him through the wall. So, client, does that sound familiar to, to you? And I saw her eyes get biggest dinner plates. I get mm. goosebumps every time I tell oh, this story. I'm getting them too. Yeah, because it was such a profound realization for me. Because um, I wasn't, I wasn't consciously taking in that this wasn't right. It just was intuitive. Like something's not quite right here. And so she said, "I, I thought something was wrong with me. Mm. I, I thought I could never tell anybody this. I, I never wanted my husband to know. He wasn't back yet. Still, so she was still on her own. And I said, "We've got to get you into some community." you know, whatever that looks like. Partner was coming back within a number of weeks. And so really we had to kind of patch things together for her. I said, you know, your prescription, you know, your doula prescription is to go back to church. And so yeah. if that wasn't a break because of something terrible and you just kind of didn't have the bandwidth, I'd, I'd really like to see you get back into that community if that feels safe for you or let's find you another one. And I've done this many, many times through the years. Um, I've had clients who have moved because this is a Navy town. So, um, you know, we'll get a 35 week pregnant person with a toddler and their partners deployed. And so she's had to move them here, move into the house by herself, deal wow. with the movers, deal with the toddler transition, navigate this pregnancy and look around and go, I don't know a soul here. 
and I, I can't go get to labor by myself. And so they'll hire a doula. And so I have to sort of patch together community. And what that looks like now, I'm really proud to say, is that so many of my friends are former clients. So I go to my friends and I say, I've got a client who doesn't have community. And they go, we got it. Mm. And we make a meal train and they bring her food and they bring her presents for her toddler. And they, you know, sit down and they talk with her and they spend a little time. And so she's not lost into you know, the abyss of this postpartum time all by herself. We can't go in and do all the things for her realistically. Yeah. But what this is what, as a community, we can do. And so that's something that's evolved over time in my practice, which is really powerful. Um, it all allows us to be a part of something together uh, in a really confined way. If I bring you a casserole in a throwaway dish, that's a pro tip, throwaway dishes, uh, <laughs> and, and a little gift for your older kiddo and, you know, a gift card for... Amazon so you can get a book or whatever that yeah. you just feel some connection and like somebody understands the depths of what all of this is. So, yeah. yeah. Well, I want to know more about that when okay. we're done here because that sounds right up my alley. Alrighty. Yeah. I just, um, I, I don't think I can stress it enough. I think that's exactly why I wanted mama stories to be in existence is because I want those moms to have a community, mm -hmm. even if it isn't some like direct, you know, they're not fortunate, fortunate enough to find a doula like you in a yeah. town like this, that's, you know, understanding and knows military life probably yeah. better than most other towns, um, that they have this almost like instant community wherever they go, because I mean, just, I think about me at 35 weeks, like I was just terrified to get my house ready, you know? Mm -hmm. And I mean, I'm so fortunate that I had a husband that was there and I didn't have to move. I didn't have to deal with any of that because, and I didn't have a toddler in tow. I mean, right. gosh, but to go back to that other story you were talking about with the mom who had her house yeah. immaculate, yep. I think that story is, um, hard for me because I think we all kind of do that mm -hmm. in a lot of ways, uh, whether it is, it, you know, first, whether it is actually postpartum depression, right? Your baby's just a few weeks old. You're, you know, going through all that or whether it be that your baby's 10 yeah, or your baby's 15. <laughs> right. Um, I think we do that a lot as moms. We try to put on this show mm -hmm. or this front that it is this thing we all have put we have it all together yeah. and we can do it all. We can balance it all. We can have it all. Um, and no worries. We don't need any help. Right. And, and I think that that we have this misconception um, that vulnerability is weakness yeah. versus vulnerability being strength. It's true. And I love that you challenged that mom that day because yeah. I remember the first time I wanted to throw grace and throw a window. Yeah. And I, Literally thought, what am I doing? Yeah. I shouldn't be a mom. Yeah. I'm a terrible mom. I'm a terrible human. Someone come arrest me today. And I remember I Grayson was maybe like three weeks old and I went to my doctor. I think I realized I was dealing with something that was bigger than me and I needed some assistance. And I'm so thankful because I went to her and I was in tears and Grayson didn't stop crying yeah. <laughs> and she just held Grayson and bounced him mm -hmm. for, and gave me a, you know, 20 minute break. And then was like, you know, we need to start some medication and we need to talk about what that looks like. And even on my way home, I thought I'm not taking this medication. I don't need this. I'm just tired. I just need a break. Mm -hmm. That's all it is. 
but it's that thing of like, we can do it all. Like, yeah. no worries. We don't need your help. Yeah. We're good. Versus like, Hey, that's a lot to take on. Mm -hmm. Like it's a lot for your body to take on. It's a lot for your child to take on. It's a lot for your husband to take on. Like let's just work together and normalize things a little bit versus it being this like ashamed, you know, don't tell anybody, don't talk about it. You know, don't take the medicine because you're not right. really broken. You can do it yourself thing that we, well, what is this notion that taking medicine means you're broken? I know. Or that, I mean, what I have found and I, uh, I have not taken mental health medication. Um, I probably could use it, but it hasn't come up in my therapy. So I'm, I'm, you know, until it does, I'm, yeah. I'm doing other things, but, um, I think of it like if you could recover this on your own, you would have, you're yeah. doing already the best things you can do. Yeah. And so what, what the medication can, or other options, herb options, um, you know, there's a lot of different things you can access. It doesn't necessarily have to be medication, uh, but medication's really powerful and safe, safe for breastfeeding. And there's a lot of um, misunderstanding around that. Uh, and, and unfortunately, a lot of that comes from providers. So people are going postpartum to their providers for help. And the providers are saying, you know, um, they're not holding their babies. They're not offering medication. Mm -hmm. They're saying, oh, it'll be, it gets easier. It gets easier. Yeah. And then, you know, and then things don't get better because we haven't interrupted the cycle. You know, if you, if you aren't sleeping because you're too anxious to sleep, sleep isn't going to help you because you yeah. aren't going to get it. And right. so we have to interrupt that cycle somehow. And we bring in an intervention. That's just anything that's changing what's happening uh, is an intervention. So maybe we bring in a sleep specialist or maybe we bring in a postpartum doula or maybe we bring in a postpartum doula and your mother-in-law and you start medication, but something has to shift so the boat can keep floating. Yeah. Cause you're just paddling along. You're paddling we can put an engine in that sucker, right? Yeah. Let's put an engine in that baby so you don't yeah. have to paddle anymore and you can rest and enjoy this time. Yeah. So, yeah. Mm. All right. All so good. Man, I really wish I had a doula. Now I'm just thinking well, if you back. you more babies. To, well, <laughs> mm -hmm, hopefully not. We're, we're like a one and done. Okay. No more. Uh, he's enough. He's a handful. He yeah. is a good baby, but we're good. Yeah. <laughs> Two on one versus yeah. one on one makes more sense. Two is easier than one I find. Oh, really? Yes. Okay. I, that's my, but we can talk about that. Okay. Well, Dustin will be editing this, so he'll be like, cut that yeah, part uh -huh. out. I don't want it to And forget that. you ever heard her yeah. say that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Okay, so um, I did have a couple questions okay. that I was thinking of as we were talking. You mentioned a while back of a birth story where there was a lot of people in the room. Mm -hmm. What's your thoughts on, like, when you have a lot of family that want to come into the room? Um, and experience that. Okay. Um, so there's a difference between the birthing person wants a lot of family in the room. That's one thing. Let's, let's talk about that and how that might affect the labor. And then you can make an informed choice. I don't care. You can have a whole horde of people in there if you want yeah. to. If you feel, and I, and like teen moms tend to want their friends there. They feel safer with yeah. their peers present. Um, and so that's something that I, when I'm working with younger moms, I know that that's going to be part of that experience. Um, but it's very common to have a mother-in-law who wants to be there or a mom that wants to be there, a sister. Um, and they're, and you know, the second they find out you're pregnant, they're saying, Oh, I'm going to be in the room. I'm going to be there for you. Mm -hmm. I'll be there the whole time. And all you can think is, Oh, beep. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, okay. How do I now, um, get you either to not come 
or live with the compromise of my own birth story that I let you come even though I didn't want you there. Yeah. Um, and so what I do with my clients as a doula is we talk about it um, without obviously these extra folks here. What is it that you want? What role do they envision they're going to have? Is this a con? Are there, do you anticipate conflict? Is this a safety issue? Um, it generally, it's well-meaning family members who maybe don't have um, the same goals the parents have for the experience um, or comfort with the parents' choices. Maybe the parents are choosing to have a home birth and, you know, grandparents are very uncomfortable with this. And so now we are worried about conflict with the midwives and these kinds of things. So it's kind of a trick. I'm giving away mm-hmm. my, my trick here. Mm-hmm. Um, and because I have the the privilege of my own office where I can have clients meet me here, um, what, I, what I usually ask them to do is bring their people to my office because this is my space and I'm the authority. Mm-hmm. And so I'm able to set a tone that I'm part of the team and I'm not just the hired help. And yeah. so that sets kind of a tone. And then when we, as, as I kind of control the conversation, which I have a lot of skills in this department. So I'm not saying everybody should try to go And do you've been this. doing it for a long time. So yeah, you. I, yes, but I'm also a really strong communicator. And so it's, it's something, you know, you have to find your gifts and use them. This is one of mine. And so I can have the parents talk about what is it that, you know, I'm asking them, what is it that you're hoping to accomplish? What would this feel like? And in front of these people, and then I'm looking to them and saying, okay, team, we're a team. How are we together going to help them accomplish that? And so I can rally us as a team a lot of the time. Um, they appreciate being included. Um, they appreciate having a role. Sometimes that's all we do is we talk. I talk together with my clients and say, you know, people just want to be helpful. They want to be part of the magic. They want to kind of touch this magic. Mm-hmm. How can we allow them to do that in a way that you still feel like you have control? And that's generally giving them a job. So, okay, mom, if you're going to be at the birth, you're going to come at this point. You're going to be responsible to feed the team. That's your job. And mother-in-law, you're going to be responsible for the laundry and the bedding and helping with the, with the pool. Okay. So they know what their job is. It's not to wander around and fuss and make judgments and, and whatever kinds of things come up. Generally people who have family um, that they don't want there have, have a close relationship with that family member. Um, They understand that person is well-meaning, but there just may be some personality things that the birthing person doesn't want to deal with. Um, And, you know, no is a complete sentence. You actually don't have to ever give a qualifier. You can just say, mom, I really, you're, I'm, I'm saying no, I'll call you after the delivery. Yeah. And that's it. And yes, you know, this is a moment that I see time. And again, I experienced this as well, where we suddenly get into different relationship with our parents. We suddenly get into different relationship with our, our elders in our lives mm-hmm. because they're used to ushering us into adulthood and ushering us into grown decisions and uh oh well you just you know you don't know I've experienced this I'll tell you and then here we are we become parents and no one can do that for us but us and here we are the experts of this baby the only experts on the whole planet of this baby and we now need to say okay mom I love you but you can't be in the room when I'm breastfeeding or whatever the boundary is and then now we're navigating that change in relationship at the same time we're becoming parents we're also sort of renegotiating our relationship with our our larger family unit and it can be a lot yeah my sister my oldest sister has four babies and Mm -hmm. my uh, middle sister has one um and my older sister has had all Mm c-sections she had an emergency c-section and so it just continued on uh through her other babies but i will say 
in our family, it's very normal for everyone to be in the room. Mm. Uh, I plan to someday interview my sisters, so I won't give away all their fun okay. little stories, but I'll tell you that with my, one of my sisters, my younger brother was like, oh, what's that? And my mom was like, oh, that's the placenta. Yeah. Like, that's how Lovely. close these um, deliveries were. Well, for me, which is odd, but out of, you know, everybody in the family, I would say I'm probably the most, like, open like willing to just like, oh, whatever, yeah. who cares? I'll deliver a baby in front of you. I don't know what it was, but there was something about that moment from the moment I got pregnant. I just really wanted it to be just me and my husband. Mm -hmm. And that was a hard thing to get, yeah. you know, my family to understand, especially my mom. I mean, I get it. Like I, you know, there was parts of me that really wanted her in there. Mm -hmm. And then there were parts of me that really wanted it to be this moment. Yeah. And it was a battle I had to have up until the moment when the nurse was like, all right, who's in the room? Wow. And I was like, mm, just us. Yeah. And I will say I was very happy with that experience. I mean, mm. um, one thing we still have to talk about is poop and delivery yes. because I did poop yeah. during my delivery and it was traumatic. Like, mm -hmm. oh, I just wanted to die, which is so silly now that I think about it. But um but I'm really glad it was just him because yeah. it was kind of like this joke that we could just pass along versus somebody adding to it. For sure. Or somebody making. Owning it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that was, I, I was very glad with that decision. So I, I asked that question because I'm so interested in what the experience would have been like if I yeah. wouldn't have stuck with my, you know, guns and been like, you know what? I would rather please everybody else in this moment. Right. Instead, I thought, no, I'm going to have my moment. and. Yeah. Very thankful for that. So poop and in, in delivery. Yeah. They say when you become a mom, all you talk about is poop. Kind of true. But you don't realize that it starts when with you're. With your own. <laughs> with your own poop. <laughs> yeah. Um, which is, man. Mm -hmm. I mean, my husband and I don't do that kind of stuff in front of each yeah. other. So it was hard to not focus on that when yeah. it was happening. Did you take a childbirth class? I didn't. Okay. That could have helped. Um, it, I mean, it doesn't, it's not for everybody like, and it's not something you get to choose and that's a hard part as well. Yeah. Um, so, you know, when, when you think about, and it's hard when I can't be visual, but, um, it's, it's a really good, uh, indicator that things are moving well because the baby's head as it's coming through your pelvis is pressing on your rectum. It's, you know, your intestines have slowed down. So anything you've eaten, it's kind of just sitting there. So if baby's truly moving down in your pelvis, which is the goal, right? Down mm -hmm. and out. Then we oftentimes will see stool. And that will be an indicator that we're doing things well. And so for the birth team, when we see it, we get really excited. It's, it's, it's not, yeah. it's not a, it's not a sort of passive thing we tolerate. Like, oh, she's pooping. Um, nobody's talking about it. We get it, literally, we're like, this bumping. Okay. She's pooping. Whew. Now we know that baby's moving down. There's a sense yeah. of relief and excitement because the next thing we're going to see is signs that the baby is truly coming out. We're going to start to see the baby's head. Um, so, and I think talking about what pooping means during labor before you get there can help you maybe not get excited that you might poop on the table. Um, but at least go, understand what everybody else is thinking when that happens yeah that it's not just the sort of gross thing that we have to deal with oh laboring people pooping on tables it's truly something that is a it's significant that we go oh thank goodness yeah you know we're seeing so visible signs that things are moving in the right direction yeah and it's a really affirming if you have somebody who's been pushing a while 
um, or is kind of struggling to get a rhythm, we can say, we can see you're moving your baby down because you pooped. I mean, we don't say it, you know. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, the nurses, the midwives, even doulas, I've definitely done my fair share of wiping butts. Um, you know, we do our, our very best to get it out of there as quickly as possible to retain your dignity around that. It's, you know, like... Most people as adults haven't had somebody wipe their butt for them, you know, since yeah. they were little kids. It's very yeah. intimate. Um, and, you know, for me, I recently had a birth where I did a lot of that uh, for this mom and she pushed her baby out pretty quick. And and she joked later, like, she's, you know, thank you for wiping my butt. And <laughs> I, I, I said, you know, for me in that moment that you, she was so relaxed as it was happening, she yeah. would just say, oh, there's more. And I would just take care of it. And I, I felt so privilege to be in service to her body and her spirit in this way yeah. that she had invited me and entrusted me yeah. with this intimacy you know um sometimes my recommendations in birth are please I'm going to step out and I'd like you guys to make out really hard <laughs> because labor stalling and we're now talking about pitocin and a makeout can kind of help get things going or just relax you so please do some french kissing and boob play like that's legit medicine. Now I during, should have hired right? you to be my doula. Yeah. That would have been way more interesting. It's way more fun. Um, <laughs> but so, you know, we can sort of um, tackle some of these topics that might, they're so intimate outside of this space. We, we would not normally, I wouldn't just meet you and be like, yeah, you need to go have sex tonight. I would never do that. But when you're pregnant and you're thinking, I would like to get into labor or my labor is really slow and I'd like to get, this is now medicine. This is now a kind of a treatment in a way. Um, and it's accessible to you all the time. So for me to be allowed to be a part of those intimate moments for a person and their body autonomy, but also the intimacy with the couple is really powerful. Yeah. It's you. I don't think that ever goes over my head of, okay, well, that's great. She trusts me. Yay. It's always like, okay, I feel like I'm bringing the right things to the space. I'm, I'm in humble service to her and she knows it and she's letting me do this thing. She could throw a sheet over herself and, and kick me out of the room. That's an option. But instead she's saying, please help me with this. Yeah. And that's really, that's really, really awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And that just sounds, sounds like a way better experience <laughs> than what I had. Yeah. I think my nurse was pretty new. It was pretty apparent. My like main nurse that I had, mm. um, and wasn't as, uh, she wasn't as clever as like, oh, I'm just going to simply like clean We're this just gonna up. We're going to clean you up. Yep. It was, uh, a bit, and maybe it was me. I mean, yeah. it was so traumatic. It was something I had heard about when I was pregnant. Mm -hmm. And I thought in my mind, like, oh, I don't care if I poop when I'm pregnant. Like, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm pushing a baby out of my vagina. Like, I don't care. And then when it happened, I was like, oh, my gosh, I really do care. I'm yeah. really embarrassed. And it's such an odd feeling to have when you're so overwhelmed with so many other emotions and you're scared and your family's in the waiting room and there's like this pressure to like you know start pushing and there's all these things and there's like this embarrassment feeling and you're yeah. kind of like mm. so I think having somebody there to like normalize that yeah. and explain why that's happening I think would totally help I'm I think there's a there's a fine line so we, we talk about pain and suffering um that you know pain is not suffering right that we can have pain that's still you know, when we have the pain of a contraction, in between the contractions, we're joking, we're in a good spirit, or maybe we're not, but we're not in a place of, 
of where we're swept away and we're suffering, um, there's a place between embarrassment and shame. And so we can be a little uncomfortable. Oh, I pooped. I'm blushing a little. I'm, I kind of wish that hadn't happened, but it's okay. I'm in a trusting environment. I feel really safe right now. Okay, I'll roll with it. Then we go to, wow, they're never going to forget that I did that. Mm. Everyone's going to talk about this. I'm going to hear about this forever. I'll never be able to live this down Everybody saw this, everybody smelled this, everybody, you know, like now the story doesn't belong to you anymore with people that you trust to hold it. Now it, it's kind of gone like a wildfire out of your control and we move into shame. And so my, my goal always is let's talk very frankly about what's going to happen. Um, if we, if we sort of get dainty about it, we're still nurturing the idea that these things are shameful. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you might pass a little stool on the birth. It's okay. That's not the same as you might poop and that's really awesome. And here's why. And so I'm always in the place of let's just be really frank and honest. Then we can be gentle around the feelings about it, but yeah. let's straight up talk about what's really going to happen. It does even, you know, regardless of the age of the person who's having the baby, it doesn't serve you to not know. Yeah. You know, cause then you have these feelings that you're left with that you then have to wrangle. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and to think like the level of importance is so low, right? Compared to like right. my baby's health, my health. Uh, you know, all these dignity other things. Dignity is a big deal, my friend. Well, it this is. is your dignity and yes, and like you're right. there's a part of it too. You you go to the hospital and you're literally saying, "I trust you guys to handle the safety, the wellness." Like I I that's why I'm at the hospital right. or that's why I'm at home or the birth or what, this is why I've chosen this environment. So now I get to now just worry about me and, you know, dignity is a very critical thing in the birth space. It's, it's one of the most probably foundational things that we can provide is dignity. And that is a moment to have your feelings. That is a sheet thrown over your bum when your hands and knees, that is someone you love wiping your butt. That is, privacy to make a decision. These are human dignity things that actually yeah. build the platform for you to have a positive experience, even if it doesn't go anything like what you wanted, that you were treated with dignity helps prevent trauma. And so as you tell your story about, you know, you shared with me kind of what in details, what occurred, there was not that awareness. It wasn't a, an assault on your dignity. Nobody showed it to you and said, look what you did. And, yeah. you know, it wasn't it wasn't a, an abusive situation, but there was a lack of awareness of your dignity. Yeah. And so that's what that's it's affected your postpartum. Yeah. It's part of the story that you tell. Not that that was upsetting for me, but you used the word traumatic. That was traumatic for me. Because there was dignity lost and it's hard to recover that. So yeah. I really hear you and I don't I, I don't support you in minimizing it. Okay. Well thank you. <laughs> I welcome. appreciate that. Yeah. No, I think that that's really I'm really glad that you said that because I think that is also one of the main things I wanna make sure we don't do ever in mama yeah. stories because mamas and some of these like blogs and these um different Instagram pages we kind of crack jokes yeah. about motherhood yeah. and so I'm that was so real and thank you yeah. for humbling me in that because um I don't want it to be a joke yeah. and I don't want it to be something we push aside because things are so real yeah. in all aspects of motherhood it doesn't just stop when your toddler becomes a kid like I have an almost 22 year old and so trust me it does not yeah it does not it doesn't stop I mean I was in a mom's group where a mom was talking about a traumatic event with her 11 year old and I thought in my mind like man I was like hoping once this like toddler phase Uh you know went away I was smooth sailing like 
I just have to worry about phones, I guess, and like well, it's what so they funny do on there. We go, we're gonna have a baby. No, you're actually gonna have a whole human. Yeah, you're gonna have an adult. You're gonna have, you know, college and arrests and you know yeah. friends traumas and that whole. You know, we don't just have a baby. No, we have we have their whole lives ahead of them. How you know as much time as we get one way or the other. That's still our responsibility, and we don't. The, the kind of books don't really break into that notion. No. Or when you're talking with your partner and we think, do we want to have a baby? And we think about, well, I don't want to give up sleep or I really have been with to breastfeed right now. Or we think about those first few cute years where they're tiny and portable and really demanding, but we don't think, gosh, are we ready to talk to our 12 year old about sex Yeah, or sexual assault or yeah. porn that they saw at a friend's house? Are we ready for those conversations? Yeah. That's, you know, there's more to it than just. The yeah. Part. No, you're right. It's, it goes on. It's actually, when you say that, I'm like, oh my gosh, all those things I have to <laughs> yes. think about. Shoot. Am I ready? Go back. Befriend go back. people with older kids. <laughs> <laughs> I actually adopted that method like probably six months ago and it was the best thing oh, ever. Brilliant. Yeah. I used to think when I went, when Grayson was little and I needed a community and, moms to be around because I was so isolated yeah. I could never find somebody with some with a kid the same age mm-hmm. um, and that was really hard for me and then I started to make friends with people just because that was all I had with older kids and that's way better yes like I, I totally agree way better yeah and um, they they've paved a path for me and you know they're giving advice or they're giving support and they also have kids to play with Grayson yeah. which is great <laughs> Uh, so you don't just have to have kid age in common. Yeah, where did we get um, that notion? Is it school that tells us that? I don't know. I think it's just like this, like you're in this, you know, it's, you know, for me, I'll say it was kind of like Grayson was an inconvenience, like, because mm-hmm. he was so little and he was colicky and I had to breastfeed him. And there was, so inviting a mom over for coffee, mm-hmm. um, and like, I'm, ju- I'm thinking back to when Grayson was in this music class and I knew these moms I really wanted to connect with. But inviting them over to coffee, it seemed like I was a burden to them because I had this task I had to do where they had a kid they could just allow to play. And now that Grayson's at that phase where he could play with a toy on his own, I don't think like if I I had a new mom who had a baby that was one month old came over, I wouldn't think like, oh, that's a burden. For sure. But I can see why she would think that. Oh, yeah. And so I think that's where I was, where I felt like, and I, and I don't want to speak for all moms, so I'll just speak for myself. But I felt like if I didn't have someone with the same age as Grayson, we were going through such different walks in our parenting, we couldn't find common ground. And instead, you're an inconvenience to them, yeah. right? Like you're this, they have this kid that can just play or this uh, more independent toddler mm-hmm. or even older kid or a kid in school. And you don't want to burden them with like the newness of a baby. And that was for me. And so... Needless to say, I think having friends that have kids of all different ages, the same age, different age, it's it's so beneficial. Yeah. You mentioned something <clears throat> just a second ago about books. Like you were saying, like, you know, there's not all the, there's, there's definitely not like a motherhood um, handbook that they give you the second you become pregnant, right? right. There's all these different books and opinions and um, blogs and 
advice out yeah. there for you. Mother-in-laws. Yeah, mother-in-laws. <laughs> yes. And mothers yes. and sisters yes. and friends and husbands and ladies in the grocery store. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh man. I remember the second I became pregnant, I traveled a lot for work. Mm-hmm. And when I announced it, um, and so I was traveling and people started to find out the advice I would get at these like dinner parties. And I would just look at people like, well, first off, I don't think your wife would want you to tell me all those things Mm -hmm. that she did to like make her pregnancy comfortable. And second, like we're good. Like we're good. Like I don't (laughs) need all that advice, but you know, it just keeps coming. It's overflowing. So how do, what's your advice, I guess, to a new mom or to a mom that's like, maybe on her third baby and wants to make it a different experience than she's had in the past. What's your advice? Like, is it take all the information in, read all the books, go to all the classes? Is it a healthy balance of both? Like, what would you tell a new mom? Oh boy, that's a really good question. And I think it, I think that I wouldn't, I wouldn't stand in front of a group of people and tell them what to do. As a doula, my job is to figure out what's right for you to help you figure out what's right for you. So if you individually, if I was your doula and we were talking and I just, I feel like I'm supposed to know all these things. I'm not sure how to get this information. I don't know that I even want it. We would talk more about that than where to go. I think um, I'm, you know, in dealing with a diverse clientele of people, um, some of them are Christian and they've got very, um, spiritually based notions of parenting. Some of them are um, from other countries, and so they've got those cultural pieces. Some of them are military. Some of them are disenfranchised from their family, like I am. So, like, there's a lot of these individual pieces that affect um, how they would take in- information. <clears throat> um, and so, you know, and and then the different resources. So, you know, we think, oh, anybody can go to the library, but if you are on a fixed income, you don't have a bus pass getting to the library is not that easy for you. You know, yeah. maybe you don't even have internet access um, or your smartphone only works on Wi-Fi, and you have to go to the coffee shop. And so we have to think about the individuals and what they have access to and what's going to be the most effective for that person. What I, off, what I see more often is <clears throat> either, interestingly, a client who will say, I don't want to know anything. I just want to go find out in the moment what's going to happen. I have to say I break out into a little bit of a sweat when that happens um, because I've lost an opportunity to contextualize some of these things we've talked about, you know, pooping and things. So then we're going to just kind of cope with whatever comes up for you. So if you don't know that's going to happen and that happens and you discover you have feelings about it, we're, 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 we have to do a lot more work to recover that yeah. than if you kind of knew and could think about it and plan for it. So uh, when, when I have folks who are just like, oh, you know, we'll just kind of figure it out. I also have to remember that they are the experts of their own experience. We are the experts of our own experience. And I, I can't ever think, I know it's right for you more than you know it's right for you. Well, if you knew, if you knew what I know, you would make a different decision. What does that, ha- how does that help you? You don't know what I know. And so coming in and seeing if I, you know, I had a client who, um, she called, she called me over to her house. She's like, I can't stop reading all these. She had books stacked on her couch. Oh, just, wow. I, I'm reading out and I just, it's, I don't know the best way to take care of the baby. All the books are not agreeing with each other and I can't, you know, I just need to know kind of the path forward. And I said, let's just, let's put the books down and let's, let's put your hand on your heart. Uh, this is, this is what I'd like you to do. Just put your hand on your heart and just breathe and feel your body expand. And when that happens, even if you have to practice that, 
what are the things that sort of come to the surface that allow you to feel your heartbeat and your breath without getting tight and nervous? And so connecting them embodied with whatever it is they need to know, allowing them to come back to the engine of their own expertise rather than, oh, well, I've got to have this doctor and go to that appointment and, you know, run to the doctor every time something's wrong with the baby because I don't, I don't know, right? Hands up in the air, I don't know. Well, you know something, you know something because here you are doing the thing. Um, And so I think, you know, my, my hope is that people are curious about this process and that they will, they will become informed um, in whatever way is right for them. And that may be that they go read a bunch of books. It may be that they hire a really great doula. It may be that they sit in circle with their family and they put hands on her and they pray over her. There could be lots of ways that this wisdom can come down. Um, and, and keeping an open mind about that and deciding for yourself, is this healthy? You know, am I not, am I not learning? Cause I'm too frightened to know. Um, or am I not learning? Cause I really trust my body. Those yeah. are different things. Yeah. Those are really different things. My husband and I took the approach of like nothing. Like we didn't go to any classes or read any books or anything like that. Um, uh, and I, and I'm actually, I'm not sure what, like, I'm not sure if which one we had, right? I don't know if it was because yeah. we were afraid or because we were comfortable and we just knew it was going to happen. Um, I feel like maybe a little bit of both yeah. depending on what it particular, like what it pertained to. Um, uh, but I will say, uh, I'm, I'm almost glad I went the like route of not knowing a lot because of the fact that everything is so contradicting to mm-hmm. the other. And that's hard for me today as a parent. Oh yeah. And so I can <clears throat> only imagine the truth of not knowing, like never having a baby mm-hmm. and never going through delivery and, and reading and experiencing something different, having my expectations be not met, like all these things I feel like might've been even harder mm-hmm. um, because I'm experiencing that now as a mom yeah. where I'm reading something and that's not what I'm experiencing. Right. And that's hard for me to digest. That's hard for me to be like, okay, well, why is that? Did I pick up, you know, the wrong article? Am I reading the wrong blog? And I think I had this moment the other day where it's, Parenting and parenting books is like truly just your, excuse me, truly just somebody's interpretation of their experience. Right. Like someone said to me the other day, oh, potty training, because that's kind of like the next step. Mm -hmm. And I've had friends that have babies that they say on, you know, they post online like, oh, my two-year-old son is potty trained. And in my mind, I'm like, oh, man, Grayson's almost two. Like, I got to get on this. And so, you know, I start picking up all the books and as I'm reading it, I'm like, man, potty training's hard or wait, this mom did it in a day or this mm-hmm, mom started mm-hmm. at 15 months or this. And then I realized, oh my gosh, potty training isn't hard. Potty training just is potty training. Well, and also <clears throat> if, you know, if, if we were having this conversation as dual and client, I would say, why do you need to get on this? Yeah. Is he like, you know, where did that? And, and so one of the themes, which I, you know, was probably not today, today's podcast, but is, you know, there's so much pressure on us because society says nothing we do is ever going to be enough. If we, if we have a job and we mother, then we can't be good at both things. But if we only work and other people raise our kids, we're not doing it right. If we stay home and we don't work, we don't have value. So there's no way for women to win. Mm -hmm. And so, um, when we talk about things like having boundaries with our families, it's very hard for us because we're constantly expected to make everyone else 
feel comfortable. And yeah. so now we have this moment thrust upon us where we have to have boundaries. It's very, we're, we're starting out in lack. We didn't get lifelong training in saying no, like our, you know, our male counterparts in the world mm-hmm. are very encouraged to do. And so there is a lot of, you know, the feminism of birth work is a whole other podcast. Yeah. Um, oh, I'm I'm ready for that one. Yeah, so let me really know when powerful. you're ready. It's really powerful. And I, you know, I use I use the F word carefully because I know it's a triggery word in, in our culture right now. And and what I mean is not the political side of it. Sure. Um, what I mean is how we how we provide access to our male partners to have emotions during these moments of becoming fathers. That is feminism as well. And so um, it doesn't leave anybody out. But, you know, what we're doing as as mothers in particular, and I'm saying that rather than birthing people, which is what I usually say, um, in, in, the, in a female dynamic, we are having to s- swim against the stream that says you should accommodate everyone else. You should put yourself last. You should not need help because this is an independent society. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you were doing it right, you wouldn't need help. Yeah, you um, can do it all. And so there's a lot of these messages that work against us. But if we if we then internalize those messages and we quote unquote fail or it doesn't look the way we thought, it's still our fault, even though we've done all the things that were expected of us. And so, um, you know, tracking back to kind of what you were saying before of just you almost can't win. And so when you're reading these books and they're saying, I'm the expert of blah, blah, blah. And if you just do these seven steps, you're going to have the best sleeping baby and you do the seven steps and now your baby really hates you. And the first thing we do is go, oh, well, it's me. Yeah. I failed. Not, oh, this is a resource that's great for some folks. It's one of many. And I am still having to navigate this story with this baby and my body at this time with this support system, with these resources, with this financial, you know, comfort level, whatever. That book doesn't, can't speak to all of that. And so if we think about it like opportunities to get new ideas rather than a, rather than a checklist of if you do these things correctly. I mean, we, our diets look like that. If you just don't eat this many carbs and you eat this much, everything will be mad. If you do this many reps in the gym, if you pray this many times a week, if you, you know, there's kind of always this expectation um, and we like the formula of it. If we just do X, 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 then we will have Y, Y, Y result. And gosh, we're human beings. It doesn't, doesn't really work like that yeah anywhere in our lives no that's, but we like it it helps yeah. us to feel in control of ourselves sure. yeah sure well and by having like a step-by-step I, th- I think from in my mind when you say like do these seven steps because I've I've literally when you're saying that I'm like oh my gosh I did that I tried like sleep training and then mm-hmm. sleep training <laughs> I tried like 10 different kinds yeah. that I just read the quick little thing on Pinterest, you know, cause I wasn't going to deep dive into a book. Sure. I was exhausted. You're desperate to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> I just wanted to go to bed. Um, it, you know, you find these steps and it's almost like for me, the steps were helpful only because I felt like I was accomplishing something like, yeah, Oh, step sure. one, then step two. But I'm, I've also hit in step seven, you know, I've hit step seven and then it doesn't work. Yeah. And I'm back at step one and that's really defeating. Yeah. So I think knowing and that. And we internalize it. Yes. I have failed in some way. Not yeah. that the system doesn't work. You know, not that the dress doesn't fit our body, but that our body doesn't fit the dress. Right. You know. Well, and the, the thing <clears throat> with the potty training, like when I was saying like potty training just is, like yeah. that just is the task that you are faced as a parent. Yeah. Right. Learning your child, learning to sleep, your breastfeeding or bottle feeding or 
starting solids. Like those are just steps that you have to take as a parent. And for some people it's easy. And for some people that's a really difficult thing. And so it just is like, it just is. It's beautiful. I I really want like moms to know I'm really, I'm speaking to myself too. Cause I'm like, Oh, body training. I got to get on that. (laughs) Like, we have, we have all these expectations, like you're saying, and then we hear all these things. And so we start to put labels on them like, Oh, potty training needs to happen. Or, you know, I need to breastfeed. And if I don't breastfeed, like this is going to happen. And if my child doesn't sleep or they're up until 10, because that's what works for me. And then they sleep in, like we start thinking all these things and it's not that it's bad or good or that's right or wrong. Like it just is. And you just have to be like really patient with yourself and like you're saying, like, know, know your body, know your baby. I mean, like, heck, you created that baby from scratch. Yep. Like, if I could just talk to every mom and just yeah. be like, let me just tell you something. Like, you just did the coolest freaking thing mm-hmm. anybody on the planet could ever do. You created a human being. A whole one. A whole one. And you birthed it through your vagina or through a C-section. However, yep. however at home naturally with the drugs i don't care mm-hmm. like you did it and like you know that baby more than anything more than anyone mm-hmm. and you <clears throat> there's a connection there that has to happen and it, because you're physically connected for so long yeah. that you just you know them and so trust yourself and trust that you know them i'm going to get off my high horse on like okay. moms cuz i just love them so much um thank you so much for being with me tonight yes, and covering so all much. this. Is there anything else you want to add? Um, I, I, I just, I hope that people will remember to kind of take in the idea of themselves as their own experts and that we, you know, being an expert of something doesn't mean that you never need insight or advice or support. It just means that you <clears throat> can trust your own knowing. Start there. I know myself. I know what I'm comfortable with. And then build your boundaries from there. Um, I think that could be world-changing if we viewed ourselves not as, you know, sort of like a science experiment that other people had more knowledge about, but that we really could be in charge of ourselves in that way and be really powerful. And that's ultimately what I hope my clients learn as well as they're moving through their labors and births and and starting to take in this notion of, well, that's my decision versus they're going to tell me what to do. Yeah. They're going to tell me what to do versus I'm going to choose that. Those are very different places to be. Yeah. And you have the right to, to do that. Like to to fall on either one. Cause I think it, it depends on who you are and you're the type of person that you are. Like you were saying, um, you don't even have to make good decisions. Yeah. Just make, you still get to make your own decisions. Yes. Very good. Well, thank you so much, Christina at Taproot Birth Partners. That's right. Um, and I'll make sure to give all the information. So when people hear this, cause I know they're going to fall in love with you. Like oh, I already you. have, <laughs> um, they can use you as a resource either Absolutely. to tell their friends or yes. their family, um, or if they're pregnant or having a baby soon to, to use you as a resource. I also mentor doulas that oh, are coming good. into practice. And okay. so I meet with folks who are interested in becoming a doula and talk about, um, you know, what the, biz, you know, what the doula side of this work is. And, and then I have a mentorship as well. For awesome. Folks, so yeah. Okay. Very cool. Is that all online? Yes. Okay. Well, yep. I will add your website. Thank you. Too, so people can see that. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening. I hope you loved it. Please subscribe to this podcast so you can get the latest episodes and tell us what you think about it in the reviews and mamas. I love you. <laughs>